All right, shut up. Uh, okay, ready. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to episode 89 of the MTB podcast, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jeff. I'm Jared. And I'm Liam. This episode, we are going to mostly just answer listener questions because we posted a Instagram story requesting questions from all of you, and we actually got really good ones this time around. And I, we we intentionally asked for serious and good questions. You know, we kind of like that's what, that's how we started out saying yeah. that instead of just like saying, "Oh, just give us questions," because normally people just put in really comical things. We get we would probably get one good question for every ten just hilarious comments. So, um, yeah, we have good questions this time that I think will be valuable and useful and educational, and we did some good research on these various questions, and, yeah, it'll be good stuff for any mountain biker to know. Uh, Before we jump into the questions, for those active listeners out there that remembered what we talked about last episode, uh, we ran a uh, sort of a fundraiser for the month of November for Worldwide Cyclery where we did 10% off gift cards, and then uh, every single purchase on the website, uh, $1 was donated to NICA. Uh, which was cool. We actually ended up donating almost ten grand to NICA through that fundraiser, which puts us at just shy of twenty thousand for the year. Uh, that also includes we have a miles for NICA program where everyone in the shop gets to basically track their miles, and then there's a how does how does it work exactly? It's like so, do you remember what it is? Yeah, we Went check it through Strava, yeah. and then it's like a dollar per mile for miles zero to hundred, and then something like that. I don't know. The it goes down. I don't remember what more, it was. The I more miles you put it together, like yeah. a year ago, yeah. but. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Basically, everyone on the staff gets to ride bikes and record it, and then uh, we, uh, the company, makes a donation to NICA. NICA National Intergalactic Cycling Association. Nice, pretty, it's pretty good, right? Nailed it. Um, yeah, NICA. That's actually interscholastic. Which oh, is, what? I, know, I just had. I, I had to kinda, say. He kind of threw me off. Um, I was like, is that right? At least as far as we know. At least as far as we know. Yeah, I mean, currently it's interscholastic. At some point Probably in the be. metaverse, it'll be intergalactic. Absolutely. And when once we're inhabiting and riding bikes on Mars, NICA will be helping uh, middle school and high school kids do the sport of mountain biking on Mars. Yep. Do you think riding on Mars would be similar to riding in Sedona? Mm, hope so. You think they got some sick slabs? I think it's all slab. Here's the real question. Do you think Elon would have an e-bike when he goes? A Tesla e-bike, or you just probably buy a Specialized or something. Yeah, Tesla e-bike maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> uh, a good question. Well, it, anyways, uh, that's what we did for Nika, which is currently interscholastic and soon to be intergalactic from our optimistic perspective there. Um, it's a great organization and nonprofit that we really like to support because we believe in what they're doing, getting kids on bikes all across the country, which is really cool. And we're actually just going to do 10% off of gift cards for Worldwide Cyclery and Kettle for the rest of the month of December because, you know, it just seems like the right thing to do with the inventory situation right now and slow sh- holiday shipping and, oh yeah, you know, so. I like you, it. If you want to be sneaky and buy a gift card for 10% off and then just buy something with that gift card, it's kind of like getting 10% off. I don't or know, is like, it a, like a fork exact, or a bike. Exactly I don't know. like that. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Put <laughs> two right. and three together, you get four. Yeah, that's know. right. But I have seen not so much slow shipping this year. But damaged shipping this year. Mm. They're just getting ruthless, man. Making yeah. me nervous because my bike is currently well, being shipped from Tennessee to here. And oof. This I week alone, I've gotten like six emails about damaged boxes. Wow. Mm. And that's not even really my job. 
just throwing <laughs> boxes. These Maybe days. Yeah. it's due to a influx of packages and the drivers are just like, I'm oh, going to get through this. Absolutely. Like, have no choice. They're just like, I'm just going to chuck this. They're just going, instead of being slow this year, yeah. they're just ruthless. They're so just so buy stuff. your Christmas gifts early mm-hmm. and don't buy anything fragile. Thank you for reminding me. I've got to go do that. Yeah. No, you're not you're done. You're totally the Christmas Eve kind of mall shopper, huh? That's how I am too. Yeah. Well, not in the... I'm All a big right. mall guy. Well, let's get into some listener questions. But first, DJ Meatball, play a sound effect. <laughs> All right. The first question is for me. Jeff, oh. you've mentioned your Garmin watch a few times and how much you like it. One comment you made was that Garmin does a poor job at promoting how their products can benefit a rider. Can you do a podcast or YouTube video on the features for average mountain bikers that might benefit, suggestions for watches, etc.? From Mike P. Well, Mike P., thanks for asking because I really like Garmin watches. I think I have said that before. I have the 4Runner 945 LTE. Liam has my old one, the 4Runner 945. And, uh, yeah, Garmin has way too many watches. It's really confusing. But essentially... They all have GPS in them and heart rate monitors on there, So and they're multi-sport, so you can just click one button and tell it if you're doing a run, a hike, trail run, mountain bike ride, e-mountain bike ride, road ride, gravel ride. You can make custom activities. It's pretty cool, and then it just tracks everything you want, so it'll tell you, um, obviously, your distance and your heart rate the whole time and give you a whole map of everything, and you can link it all to Strava if you want all that data, then import it to Strava, which I think is what most people do. Don't most people just record yeah, their... Probably. Yeah, yep. they use their Garmin to just send it to Strava. Um, they work amazing. I really enjoy it. I also like the fact that it has a body battery feature, which kind of is tracking your motion and heart rate and activity 24-7, and the batteries on the things, you know, depending on how many activities you do, um, they usually last. How long does yours last? Well, recently, since I've been doing a lot of activity, mm-hmm. I feel like I've charged it once a week. Yeah. Like, if I ride a lot, but it's funny because like you say that days. you say it like that's bad, but people who like hear that and they're like, my Apple watch runs out every day. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Like it's incredible. Yeah, it lasts a whole week. Yeah. It's, it's cool. I yeah, mean, if like, all, like if you exercise, let's say four hours a week, you probably charge your Garmin once every two weeks. Wow. But if you're doing like long days or something, cause obviously what burns battery is, <clears throat> yeah. um, is just running the GPS. Yeah. But you, there's also ways to like make that better, right? So when I hike, I put the GPS setting on ultra track, mm. which is less accurate GPS, but it's like way more battery efficient. Yeah. And then if you're doing something where you really want the GPS to be accurate, like you have a map on your watch, so you're like yeah. riding and you're actually, you have a full topo map on your watch, which you can do on the Phoenix series of Garmin watches and on the higher end versions of the Forerunners, like in the 900 series Forerunners, um, then you can put it on like GPS plus Clono Glass or whatever, and then you have more accurate GPS. So yeah, I think they're great. I mean, I, I like I like the fact that it, you know, gives you a bit of a, uh, you know, just take on like your body battery, like what's, you know, what's happening with you in terms of how much exercise you're getting and how good your sleep is. It's really good. It does all sleep data if you wear it 24-7. Um, and yeah, it's just like a great device to track that. The GPS is way more accurate than your phone's going to be. So if you're currently like using your phone to record all of your bike rides or your Apple Watch, Garmin watch is going to be way more accurate at that, which is really cool. And the heart rate's great, and you don't need to wear a chest strap. Um, you could, though, if you want. You can link that up. You can also link, like, what, a cadence sensor and a power meter. You can hook that up to your Garmin. So, yeah, there's a lot of really cool benefits for Garmin watches. They're 
pretty impressive. And I think Garmin does kind of do a poor job at advertising that because they do work so well for like all these different things. Like you can wear it for motocross riding and running and cycling of all kinds. And they're pretty rad. So I'm a huge fan of them. I think they're just amazing devices, especially with how compact it is and how rarely you have to charge it and how much data it gives you. So that's my, that's my shtick on Garmin. And you didn't have one for a while, right, Liam? You just had like the little Garmin head unit one and then you went to the watch. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I had like a, a fancy head unit back when I was racing, and then when I stopped racing, I kind of like went full other mode, and I just had the most basic. They don't make anymore. It's like a Garmin twenty or Garmin twenty five. Yeah. It had like how long I rode for, how many miles I did, and like my elevation, and that was it. And it was like so simple. And then yeah, I wanted to watch, so um, I actually sent Jeff an email about like comparing models <laughs> and he gave me like a full three or four paragraph breakdown. <laughs> and at the bottom he goes, but I'm getting a new one. So do you want my old one? And I was like, you could have saved like five paragraphs and said that. And I, I just wanted, said, yeah. I just wanted to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a tech nerd. I could talk about laptops and phones and, uh, like Garmin watches and stuff all the time. So. You don't have one, Jared. I know. Of I all it. things, I six go bikes, no, no yeah. Garmin watch. Easy, no. <laughs> well, know. you have an Apple Watch, don't you? I got an Apple Watch. It does a job. It's yeah. whatever. Do the, you record your rides on that or do you use your phone to record your rides? I record my rides mostly on the watch, but um, the like, I would totally get a Garmin watch. But, I mean, the thing for me is I don't want to sleep in it. And I feel like that's how you take advantage of so many of the features is like you wearing it all the time. Yeah, I guess I, mean, I just have to get used all, to it. But. Like the body battery and all of like your sleep tracking, that you have to wear it twenty four seven. Yeah. Um, but if you don't really care as much about that, then who cares? Like if you're just using it to track your rides and runs and true. activities or whatever, then you don't really need to wear it twenty four seven. That's true. But yeah, so I don't know. They are really cool devices. I really enjoy mine. Um, I think it's a super good way to record all of your activities. And I don't know. I used to not want to record stuff. I used to just want to go out and be without electronics since I stare at screens all day. But it's so easy, like being on your wrist. It's like yeah. two buttons and it's like, boom, you're recording your activity. Um, and then you have all the data right there. And then what I also like too is like when I ride new places, you know, like when we even took that trip in last July, right? Like I recorded every one of those rides. And if I ever want to go back to Crested Butte, Colorado, I can go back to my Garmin data and see the whole map. Yeah. And then I can put that route on my watch. Like if I happen to be there without guides on a chasing every really? trip and I'm there by myself, like, and then like I record all my rides in New Zealand in December of 2019. So I can just go, if I go back there, I have like all of my ride data. It and just it's tells like you like which direction maps. to go and everything. Yeah, it's like you have a full map. Wow. You can yeah. load the whole, ri- the whole ride up on here. No way. And I'll tell you, it beeps at you if you thinks you're off GPS. And wow. I think that part's cool too. Like I'll hit up Jeff, be like, hey, where'd you hike over here? And he'll just send me the whole Garmin link yeah i'll save that upload it on here and i have jeff's hike that my watch is following whoa and took like yep. four clicks all right that's yeah. pretty sweet yeah that's a nice little feature I like that. and so i take it you could probably go into like some other back end where there's a bunch of people or like a community of people and then you can just like there use is their routes yeah, yeah. Yep. that's pretty cool that's like pretty garmin sweet. connects similar to strava right kind yeah of? it's kind of weird it used to just be like garmin was like this like back-end data platform that connected to strava but then they've tried to kind of make it a little bit like Strava. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, yeah, it's not really like Strava. But you can still see like popular routing. And I mean, Strava is still way better for like that like social network aspect of it and the yeah. community aspect and like finding popular routes. Like more people use Strava than yeah, people right. that use Garmin devices. Although a lot of people that <clears throat> use Strava are recording it from a Garmin device. So it's, right. yeah. yeah. I didn't even know that it was a thing until Zach asks 
why haven't you accepted my friend request on <laughs> Garmin Connect? Yeah. And I was like, I, didn't I know it's it's thing. not it's not well it's not well built. Like Strava is really well built, like almost like a social media app. Right. Whereas like Garmin Connect is not really like that, but it's like kind of want to be like that. But anyways, more about the data. Yeah, it's more about the data and your own personal stuff and tracking right. it. So you can also do training plans. Like I don't know if they have them for cycling, but I know they have them for running. Like I was using a training plan for a half marathon and a marathon, yeah. which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, yeah, suggested routes, all that stuff. I dig that. All right, cool. Let's hop into the next one. Nice. Next question. Are we ready? What is the best floor pump for accurate tire pressure? None. I'm just kidding. That's probably the wrong answer. I. I mean, it's kind of that was that was it's, kind, it's kind of kind of the answer, right? I mean, it's just so hard to know what is actually accurate. I mean, there's like people who make pumps have ways to tell that are like calib- calibrated and stuff but yeah. like once you have a pump for like x amount of years how do you know it's still accurate i just think you should stick with your pump and like try to always use your own pump to pump up or your own digital pressure gauge to always check your tires most and that way, floor pumps gauge is not that great yeah exactly so i don't i don't think like 23 psi on my pump and 23 psi on your pump even if they're the same pump right might be two or three psi different or It'll more. It'll be close. It'll be close, yeah. yeah. But you really want accurate tire pressure, use a di- proper high quality digital gauge. And then try to use like just I just keep one in my riding bag and wh- whoever I ride with, I just use my pump or mm-hmm. my gauge no matter whose pump I use. Right. Yeah. The other thing to remember is that with pressure valves, as they get clogged by sealant, then it totally throws off their ability for pressure gauges to even work. Yep. So, which I had no idea. Kind of a prerequisite. You need a really clean, fresh valve core in there. Otherwise, nothing's going to give you an accurate reading, including a digital gauge. You learn something new every day. You learn something new yeah. every day. The well, uh, NV tire pressure oh, yeah. digital pump. It's like it's really expensive. Mm, that one's that. probably pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Pay that much money for it. Right. Yeah, well, if if you're wondering more about tire pressure, I think it was last podcast we talked a lot about it, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, like yeah. the um, so yeah, the if you want to know more about it and you didn't already listen to the last podcast, we talked a lot more about like what to put your tire pressure and why and various ways to calculate it and that sort of thing. So all right, all right. Do you do you want to do the honors of reading this next question, Jared? I'd love to actually. Um, who should this? I think this is probably directed to you, Jeff. Jeff, would you rather die from holding in your poop or marry Jared with a wig and $25,000 in store credit? Huh. I didn't actually like properly read this question at first. I thought it said I thought it said holding your poop. Like I was in my head I was fixing you like you die while you're holding a poop in your hands. I think that's worse than actually the other way around. Yeah, I know, holding in your poop. Or married Jared. Well, the funniest well, thing obviously for I would Jeff, marry Jared. What? Thank you. But you already get, you get $25,000 store credit to the store you own. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just... Like, how does and that And then you're married a, to, to a, Jared, so essentially it's like $13,500 or $12,500. That's right. Credit. And I just divorce you and I get the twelve five. Is that what happens? Yeah. <laughs> we get a divorce and you split the credit. <laughs> That's a good deal for both of us. All right, I'm down. <laughs> Great. Perfect. We're gonna we're gonna put we'll pay for our next bike. We're gonna put Jared on mountain available mountainbikehusbands.com. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh my god. That'd gosh. be a good website. We should build that. Yeah, we should. All right. <laughs> William, this is a good question for you. It is. What are the pros and cons of dot fluid versus fish oil? I mean mineral oil. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, a jab at Shimano for making fishing parts. I'm gonna. I, yeah, is that what that? It, was? it is. That's exactly. That was oh, my question. That's, I, that's that flew right over my head. <laughs> Flying fish. Um, I'm gonna first preference it with dot fluid is a standard by the motorized like vehicle department. No, the motor um, uh, automotive. Yeah, yeah, whatever that is. Department, department of transportation. Of, yeah, transportation. it's like standardized, right? Yeah. Like you could get dot four, you could get dot five point one, which both SRAM uses at an auto parts store. And it almost work. anywhere if it's dot four or five point one for whatever reason dot five does not work. Weird. Um, mineral fluid is not mineral oil. Right. Mineral yeah, so oil. like the mineral yeah. oil that you can buy at the the CVS local yeah drugstore yeah, or whatever. Drugstore is not the same as don't what, put that in your brakes. Absolutely <laughs> like not. That will oil. never work. So all mineral fluids or, or oils are uh, like shimano's owned mix right or right. magura's own mix yeah right. they're, they're not defined so that's the hard yeah. part but then when you really break them down say you're just doing shimano mineral oil versus sram dot fluid right make it super standard mm-hmm. they both have pros and cons and like at the end of the day they kind of both even out right um i am by no means like the tester of all this uh, Epic Bleed Solutions has a crazy in-depth blog. Like, it's really in-depth. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like 12 pages I long. I don't think anyone will make a better <laughs> blog than they did. <laughs> no way. Um, so I'm just going to read off the advantages and disadvantages. Both. Not yeah, good? I'm ready. So dot fluid, the advantages. High boiling point. Uh... Can you say that word? Hygroscopic Jeff? nature. Hygroscopic means water nature. will never pool in the brake system. Uh, it's regulated. Yeah, governed, governed by minimum standards with regulate that which regulate the quality. Wow. Yep. Widely available, inexpensive, easily cleaned away. Disadvantages: corrosive, uh, hygroscopic nature, poor shelf life. So it is when you do like, if you're a home mechanic. You break a seal on your SRAM dot fluid. Uh, you don't want to like have that sit around for like six months. Really? Yeah, it'll actually lower the quality of it. Wow. Um, so something to know. Buy the small bottles and keep it fresh. Uh, advantages and disadvantages of mineral oil: high boiling point, hydrophobic nature, non-water absorbing means the boiling point will never drop. Long shelf life, non-corrosive, it's unregulated, easily cleaned away. I don't know why unregulated kind of is a... I guess manufacturers get free reign over the spec of their fluid, so they could tweak it how they want. Which is why mineral oil is not really like a defined thing, which is why the mineral oil you buy at the grocery store is different than Shimano or Magura mineral oil. Yep. Disadvantages are expensive compared to dot fluid, Hydrophobic nature, limited availability, it's unregulated. So Hmm. um, it's kind of give and take on both. Uh, The article doesn't actually give a like a winner. Yeah, that's that's what's cool about it, I think, because there there isn't really a winner. It's kind of up to you to decide. But they do have at the bottom a poll that says you tell us what you think is the winner and out of 14,000 votes, there are 8,666 for mineral fluid and 5,399 for dot fluid. So hmm. the public thinks mineral oil wins. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Interesting. 
or the 14,000 readers and voters of this blog. <laughs> How many? 61.61% of them. Do you think we could post on social media and get that flipped around? Ooh. Well, no. I mean, if we told people that to, not well, that doesn't make any poll, sense. <laughs> yeah, we want people to vote honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not biased either way. Like, I mean, I agree with this blog. There's advantages and disadvantages to both of them, but I don't know. One thing I, that, it's one of those things to me that like you just shouldn't really worry too much about. Yeah. I, There's I've, like when it comes to brakes, like you're not going to buy a set of brakes because it uses one oil or the other. I mean, you should buy for a bunch of different yeah, reasons than that. Some people definitely do, but I've never had an issue on either side where I'm like, oh, if only this was dot fluid, or if only yeah, this it's, was it's never oil. like yeah. the problem with yeah. the brakes are never really related to the fluid no. inside of them. No, yeah, definitely not. I mean, the one thing I don't like about mineral oil is like when you bleach on a brake and it comes out black, and it's like. Yeah, well, that can happen dot, with dot, dot fluid. will do too. the same thing. Oh, really? I yeah. mean, I've guess never seen black dot fluid, but oh I yeah, mean, it's okay. just like it's for definitely me, in it happens. Yeah, <laughs> you just have to yeah heat it up enough. You just Word. have to not bleed your brakes for a year and do really long downhills and hold your brakes. Word. It'll turn black. All right. Well, there you go. I guess they both turn black. So yeah. So we we will put the the link to this in the show notes. Um, yep. Epic Bleed Solutions. I think they're out of the UK. They make like a they sell like a bunch of brake parts and stuff. I don't really know too much about them other than that they wrote this unbelievably well-done article, so massive props to them on that one. Um, yeah, really cool, really well done. We would no one, I don't think anyone will ever do something that in depth. What is this next question? Quick tips on how to get the most out of your breaks. Mm. I got some. Do you? Yeah. Mine are... Don't uh, use them. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> use them. Uh, mine, mine are to really, really care about the quality of the initial setup. So who bled them and how they were installed, right? That like that really matters. Like having your brakes properly bled is really, really important. And it's not as easy as some people like to imagine it is. It's not like a, I'm just going to willy-nilly home mechanic this. Like it's just not like that. Like you really, really need to have the right tools and know exactly what you're doing or employ a mechanic who does. Um, the next part is breaking them in properly. I think that's where people totally mess that up. They mm-hmm. get new pads and new rotors at the same time or one or the other, and they don't break them in to the specified manufacturer's like process to breaking in the pads. And that will like permanently damage the rotors and or pads simultaneously, which causes them to not be as powerful or inconsistent or make noise. So break them in properly, which typically, I think we talked about this again on some podcasts yeah. like several times ago, because it gets brought up a lot because people are like, oh, why do my brakes how? I broke them in. I just, you know, I rode down this massive hill and dragged them the whole way. And it's like, that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. That's called glazing. Um, yeah. So the, the proper break-in is, you know, when you have new pads or new rotors or both, pedal up to speed about, you know, 20 miles an hour or so, and slowly, you know, like gently grab those brakes, come to a slow roll, not a complete stop, and then come to a slow roll and then let go and then repeat that five times. Take a break. You'll be out of breath. The brakes will be hot. Do it another five times, and then pretty much good to go. So that's what you want to do. You don't want to lock them up, and you don't want to drag them. That damages kind of the process of bedding in the brake pads to the rotors. So that's those are my two quick tips on how to get your brakes to work well. You got anything else? Hmm. That's definitely, I think, like the easiest ones to do for people. Um, Use all the same brand stuff. I... Yeah, I kind of lean that way. It's just safer. It's easier. It's people at Unless SRAM. You've really and, done your research. Yeah, people at yeah. SRAM and Shimano are not dumb. They they put a lot of time into why 
the rotors have certain holes in them, why the brakes pads have certain compounds, you know, like yep, and how that meshes together. Yeah, like it's it all meant to be a system. Been tested and engineered, you know, for years and years and years. Um, that's not to say that aftermarket companies aren't good. Uh, you know, Galfer and other brands like that are are super good. Um, but I just kind of lean towards like, you know, stick with your brand. It's all meant to work together. Like people are working really hard to to make that product. So yeah, yep. I mean, Agreed. for me, like. I think most people probably just don't do the regular maintenance enough. Just check your pads and your rotors and like align them and bleed them. Yeah. Like, you know, you could probably take like an hour out of your day every couple months and just like do that. And then your brakes are going to be dialed. That's yeah. pretty much all I got. Yeah, that does help. Don't contaminate them. Don't contaminate don't them. Contaminate <laughs> that's, a, that's a quick tip. Yeah. You don't want to spray SC1 on your rotors to clean them. Anything, yeah, <laughs> anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't put anything when I, when near I, Not even fingers. Yeah. Um, when I worked in more of a traditional local bike shop, we would have people coming in constantly oh, that yeah. would just have contaminated pads. WD forty um, on the pads. All yeah, the time. they oh, would be like, "Oh, what? they squealed, so I put lubrication on them." What? Or this was also when disc brakes were more new too, right? So people would come off of V brakes for twenty years and they got yeah. disc brakes and they didn't really yeah. know how to, I don't know, set them up. Or they would be like, "Oh, it's rubbing," and then instead of aligning the caliper with the proper screws, they would. Uh, uh, loosen the whole like the caliper has two sides to it, right? And they would oh, like no. crack it open and fluid go everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, so yep. you know, make sure you're you know loosening the correct bolt on there, if you're, depending on what you're trying to do. Yeah. So yeah, that stuff happens a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. One other very nerdy <clears throat> way to take care of your brakes is on the first install, but to actually face your mounting surfaces especially now with a lot more bikes having like direct mount carbon uh hey nobody got time for that hey dude you want good braking surface <laughs> i have i have time to it is on your true. bike, right yeah, yeah. i mean because otherwise the pads will be slightly angled not yep. perfectly parallel to the rotor yeah so mm. that's a that's a that goes that goes back to like way. it's almost like if, if you have a local mechanic be like hey do you ever do you ever face the brake mounting surfaces and if they're like what then you know if they're good or not, <laughs> and if they're like, yeah, absolutely, I do that every bike I build, then you're like, oh, amazing, you're employed, I choose you. <laughs> it's a good qualifier mind. question, even if you don't know what it means. Definitely. <laughs> That's a good one. Here's, a, here's the next question. Why does Shimano use a Phillips head on their lever that does absolutely nothing? Wow, I've been trying to figure this out for years. <laughs> Shimano USA sliding on DMs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if anybody know. knows, feel free to let us know because well, we're still trying to figure from, it out. From what I recall, um, when SRAM came out with the, well, this is back when it was Avid, so it was originally Avid. SRAM bought the company Avid. Uh, the juicy brakes were the first mountain bike brakes where you could actually adjust how far the lever pulls, like on the fly, without even to overbleed or underbleed the system. Like you could actually adjust how much you know throw that lever would have before it engages with that ugly red just google avid juicy sevens and you'll yep. see this like cast oh, yeah. cast aluminum looking color pewter lever with this like big ugly red i used to have a uh, knob and that would adjust how far the lever would pull until it engaged and sram got a patent on that and it was actually amazing like it it worked and it was cool and it still exists on sram brakes and now it's a much more refined look with a nice little knob that spins 
And uh, yeah, it, it allows you to adjust how far the lever pulls until the brake engages, which is incredibly convenient. Shimano tried to do such a thing while not encroaching on SRAM's patent, and they put that Phillips head screwdriver on there. I don't know why it's not an Allen. What, <laughs> why? Why on God's green earth? I don't it, know. Use an why. Allen. The I bikes, was... the bikes are covered in Allens, and they look so yeah. much nicer. And everyone has a Phillips head. What? It is, and it's a silver Phillips head screwdriver. Like you could just paint it at least, yeah. let Bizarre. alone like maybe a black. Anodize it, maybe something. Um, or just like yeah. don't put that there because it doesn't do anything. It, yeah, it, it also it, like just doesn't really yeah, work at hardly all. Hardly does anything. Yeah, it's it's like, pretty useless. Yeah. And what's crazy too is like I I will give it I. I Honestly, think that Shimano XTR brakes are the best looking brake in existence. That's obviously my personal opinion, but like the way the lever looks and the caliper looks and the rotors look, like they look like they're from a stealth bomber. Like they just yeah. look incredible. And then there's a, still a Phillips head screwdriver on the lever. <laughs> Why is that there? Oh, let me bust out my screwdriver and I'll yeah. just adjust that for you, yeah, Bill. Let me yeah. just hit Home Depot real quick to get a Phillips <laughs> only head. Only screwdriver on a ten thousand R bike. The only one, guaranteed. Only, only Phillips head. Get, only and it will head. only ever be the one until they change it. I don't, yeah, I have no idea what's going on there. Oh gosh. Um. Anyways, that's that question. <laughs> How about this one, Jeff? What was the step that took you from working at a small local bike shop to running this MTB retail powerhouse? Um, well, that story, so we have a YouTube series called Ask Jeff Anything, where I answer all sorts of various questions. So if you ever want to know more about me personally and sort of my journey of, uh, what I did racing bikes and working in the bike industry and then starting Worldwide Cyclery, go to YouTube and check out that YouTube series. Cause I answer all those types of questions, uh, to sort of sum that question up. I, as a kid, so I grew up in Newbury Park, California, and I worked at a local shop called Michael's Bicycles, uh, just one single location, not to be confused with Mike's Bikes, the much larger, like, chain of shops in Northern California, but Michael's Bicycles in, in Newbury Park, California, which was a family-run shop, really cool people, really nice people. Um, they, at the time, so I think now they're, like, Trek and Specialized? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't have total close contact with them anymore. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it was a cool shop. I worked there. I think I started working there when I was 13 years old, wow. which maybe is not legal. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I don't think these days. <laughs> <laughs> it was legal back in my day. Uh, mom said it's all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. My mom said it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I was like, you know, as a, as a teenager, I was washing bikes and then, you know, I was, I was just obsessed. Like as a kid, I was just utterly obsessed and infatuated with mountain bikes and I was just constantly learning every possible thing I could about them and went from washing bikes to working on bikes to then talking to people in the retail store. And I worked all the way until I was like 20 years old. Wow. And uh, the last couple of years I worked there, I was, you know, I'd ask the owner, I'd, I'd said, hey, like, I think, so this is back in 2009 at the time, 2008. I was like, hey, I think this, I think this internet thing's going to be big, you know? <laughs> it already was, but obviously not as big as now. And, it, and so I told him, and I was like, hey, I was like, hey, I want to start selling stuff online, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's a super nice guy. And, he, and he's like, he's like, look, he's like, it's above my head. I'm not too interested in it. He's like, if you want to buy stuff, you know, at wholesale from our distributors and sell it on your own time, like, feel free. Like, you have total reign. Like, I trust you. It's, it's all good. So I was like, okay, cool. So I was just buying random things at wholesale cost, and then I would sell them on, on eBay and, like, pink bike forums and MTBR forums, things like that, just talking to people. And and I realized, like, wow, there's this there's a huge opportunity here. Like there's, there's some incumbents, but they're not really good at all. And there's a lot of opportunity here for other players and people to do it way better and people to do it on like just different marketing strategies, yada, yada. And 
So I, I kind of just like dabbled and I tested the waters. And then um, because of that, I learned a ton. It was all just a learning experience. But working at that shop for all those years taught me who the distributors were, who the customers were, all about the products, all that sort of stuff. So from there, I, you know, again, like I, I told the owner, I was like, hey, I really want to do this. I think there's an opportunity. And he's just like, he's like, I know, I'm sure you're right. But like, I'm, you know, he was older. Yeah. He was in his late 50s at the time. And so he's, he's you know, he was kind of just... I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want to bother. Yeah. If it ain't I, broke, don't fix it. Yeah. You know, and, and again, you know, I respect him. Like he's got, he's got his ways and, and, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, well I'm going to go do this then by myself. And he's like, that's cool, man. Like, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> I mean, he was the nicest guy ever. And, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, and, uh, so I did, so I, I took off and, uh, I, I went and yeah, I, t- I told this whole story one time on, on one of those ask Jeff, vid- ask Jeff videos, but basically, um, I don't come from a wealthy family by any means, but like a middle class family at least. And my my mom gave me a twenty thousand dollar loan at ten percent simple interest, <laughs> um, which I paid her back in eleven months. And and I opened, I leased a little uh, dinky shop, and and I put a shop in there. And I I started, I got the distributor accounts that I knew, and started selling product on the internet. And it was like super small. It was literally just me and a friend, and we were uh, just trying to sell bike parts on the internet. And it was like really small, really podunk, really grassroots. And then from there, it just like grew and grew. And we just learned and progressed and, you know, tried, tried more things and figured out how we could get more customers and do a better job and build a nice website and like educate people and provide a great customer experience that wasn't currently there and yada yada and now worldwide cyclery is where it is today which is in a very different place 11 years later so yeah that was kind of the the transition from the small local shop that i worked at to the you know what this gentleman says mtb retail powerhouse (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i call it that but maybe it is Um, it's a compliment Yeah, it's a compliment. So it is a compliment. Thank you. Thank you for calling yeah. it an MTB retail powerhouse. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, a lot of it really at the end of the day was just good business acumen. I, I saw an opportunity in the industry, and I also understood that, you know, it's, it's not just about the opportunity, but it's about how you take advantage of it and then serve your customer and, like, have a customer-centric business and making sure, like, you're always doing right by the customer and getting good customer feedback and doing things to make people impressed and happy when they shop with you. Um, and then also doing the same thing internally, like making sure your internal staff is, like, excited and happy to work there and enjoying their jobs type of things. Like, those are kind of the fundamentals of business that somehow are forgotten a lot of the times in modern day business world. But that's all I really did. It wasn't wasn't rocket science. Um, certainly not Zuckerberg over here starting the metaverse, just just running an MTB retail powerhouse, I guess. <laughs> um, all right, next question. You want to read that off, Liam? Are there any plans for T1, Trail 1, to produce frames? Um, not really. <laughs> so uh, that's a that's a big uh big task yeah if, if you listen to last podcast uh trail one components is something that uh us and brian kennedy and a an, uh, former race face engineer a com- mountain bike component brand we launched to like make really high-end mountain bike components that we want and want to have for ourselves but also have this like really cool give back story to where every product sold a dollar goes back to a trail network um anyways you could check it out trail1.bike but uh, yeah, we were currently, you know, in the early phases of that brand, and uh, we have some really quality, you know, kind of cockpit stuff right now in terms of grips, bars, and a stem. As far as frames, I mean, I won't say a definite no, but not in any, not in 
Maybe like a secret hardtail, like for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just a hardtail. We're just going to make a hardtail. Yeah. And no, I mean. one secret one for Jared. Just yeah. a secret one not for a, us. Not a batch. Yeah. Not initially. I mean, it could happen. Who knows? I mean, I'll, I won't give it a definite no, but yeah, currently we have no plans for producing frames. We just want to try and refine the existing components we have and make some new, cool, really good contact points and various things like that. We just want to make like good, high quality stuff and also find a way to have the business, like have really cool stories to tell about the trails that the products are named after and giving back to the trails while simultaneously making just kind of the stuff that like we've really always wanted in terms of high-end mountain bike components so i don't know frames would be cool but mountain bike frames are a challenge man i mean they're they're i like to say they're at a product innovation plateau it's hard to make them any better than they are excluding the e-bike space i think e-bikes still have a lot of runway to evolve and innovate but i think regular mountain bikes don't have too much room they're pretty amazing as they are so you said it yeah, there's so many good ones. There are so many good ones. Yeah, there really are. All right, Speaking next question is, ones. what's Jared's next bike? It's a really good question. You were you were I was walking out of the bathroom and you were like had a Yeti box in your hand and you were like <laughs> staring at me in in like shock and I was like, "What's wrong with you?" And you were, you were embarrassed to to tell me what was happening. Uh, I was just want before you answer. I want to yeah. know cuz like I'm pretty bad, but I think you've surpassed me this year. Maybe. Um, I've kind of calmed down. I'm like, I know what I like now, you know? Yeah. I but mean, uh, how many bikes ahead are you planning? Like, do you have like you, this bike you're building? Do you have yeah. the next one already planned? Technically. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm totally guilty. I'll accept the, I'll accept the charge. Uh, All right. So what are you building? So it's a bike I've been wanting to build ever since it came out and it's a Yeti SB165 DH bike. And I've got, a, well, it's not supposed to be a DH bike, it's just a, Super new no, bike. It is going to be a DH bike. Well, yours is. Yeah. But it's supposed to be a 165 right. mil travel, 27 five inch wheeled. Right. Yeah. Which, what do they have? 170? That's a front? 180 fork. 180. 180. Yeah. That's what they spec it with? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Yeti specs it with 27 five inch wheels, 184. Yeah. 165 rear travel. So mine's going to be like a 190 dual crown. And then Which seven. Is the same actual crown as a 180 single right. crown. Yeah. So it doesn't change any to you. Right. And then I'm going to do a uh, seven-speed, like proper, you know, seven-speed DH SRAM drivetrain and code brakes and rigid post and some iron on wheels and... Send it? Send it. It's going to be dialed. I'm so stoked. I haven't Those had a... going to be ready, though, because you can't even really, like, ride, quote-unquote, yeah. bike park Here's DH. Here's the thing. It's, it's all going to be... It's all going to be ready, except for the fork, which isn't going to be around to like March or something. So it's fine. Like I did this on purpose to plan it out like for next summer. Uh, not planning on riding it obviously anytime soon. I just wanted to like be ready for bike park season. But yeah, I haven't had a proper DH bike in like pretty much ever. The last bike I had that was a DH bike was a Santa Cruz VP free. It was like a 2004. And that is kind of like an enduro bike. You could put a dual crown on, you know, or like oh, before enduro bikes. were archaic in the terms of mountain yeah, bikes. like super yeah. weird geo, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying weird. to remember like what Geo was like in 2004. Oh, this thing was like super high and yeah. short yeah. and like oh yeah, it's their but it was 26 sweet. inch wheels for the time. It was rad and I loved that bike, mm-hmm. um, but it was not like a proper DH bike. And I've always wanted something just like proper, and this will be it. Even though yep. it's like a mini DH bike, quote unquote, whatever. Um, that's it. I'm stoked. I mean, if it could ride Rampage and get a podium at Rampage, I yeah. think it's pretty proper. We'll yeah, who did that? Reed bugs, uh, Reed bugs, right? On that bike. Yeah, and it was a one six five dual ground fork. Yeah, yeah, that's nope. a sponsored Yeti rider, and he's yeah, absolutely incredible bike yeah. rider. So a little bit of inspiration from him, but um, yeah. yeah, 
thing that's going to be freaking sick. And I think I'm Nate stoked. Hills has one too, yeah. Nate Hills, actually, yeah, Nate Hills does one. He's mm-hmm. also a little bit of my inspiration as well. Mm-hmm. That's Jared's next bike, and we've all lost track. That's it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the next question. With the new HPC compound for Deity Bras, how will it affect the PB&J supply in the USA? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who asked that, but I give them a high five for creativity because that is pretty funny. It's like an ad lib or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, that's just <laughs> filled the blank. Yes. blank. How will it blank? Blank. <laughs> Low key, though, PB&Js are my favorite. Yeah, food. what's up? PB&J. That's what's yeah. up. I had a toasted one recently, okay. like a really high quality bread, mm. and it was toasted. And uh, it was Joe Fox's wife. She's an amazing cook. She also put butter on it, so it was like butter <laughs> PB and J, and it was toasted high quality. Like she's an amazing cook. This PB and J she made for me. Well, we requested them. <laughs> she also made like she's she used to be the head chef at the Biltmore in Phoenix. Wow, oh, I've whoa. been there. Oh, you're so high class. You've been there? That's where every president has been there, apparently. I went to school in Arizona, man. So you stayed at the Biltmore? Isn't it like $1,000 a night? I never said I stayed there. Oh. That's what you said. I've been there, bro. You've just been there? Like, yeah. Well, I've driven oh. by it, too. Yeah. You've been there, too. <laughs> ridiculous thing to say. It's true. All right, all right, all right. All right, more oh, importantly, Jared, yeah. how did you get the Fox Flodex to fit the Ranger? That's a great question. I picked the correct size, which is 190 by 45, and uh, I got the correct mounting hardware, and it bolted right on. You know what? (laughs) (laughs) What? How is that a good question? There's nothing special about that. Here's the special part. You can just buy it in the right size? Here's the special part. Okay. You got to get the right bottle cage to get a water bottle to work on there. You get a Lazion flow cage, and you can, like, Dremel out the... You know the uh, mounting cords. Otherwise, ports. the oil reservoir runs yeah, the bottle. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the reservoir. So, or you can get the Wolf Tooth uh, bottle cage. Liam, you know the name of it. I think it's Morse Morse yeah, code cage something like or that. something like that. Morse cage or something Morse like that. Morse cage. Where it has all the different mounting points, and then that way you can mount it lower down inside the triangle, and then you can have the water bottle yeah. with your beautiful flow decks. And then you get a zero point zero zero one percent advantage of having your water bottle weight lower towards the bottom bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I like that. Bigger advantage Bam. is getting off the Sidlux. Yeah. Getting on a shock. Do you think that's that much of a difference? I like the Sidlux on my Ranger. Uh, I don't think well, it's that at all for that bike. I just took good. I just put a super deluxe on because I'm more of a rock shocks guy on my Ranger instead of the Sidlux. And like Mo like very like mellow riding, it's the same, right? It doesn't yeah. make much difference. Like the Sidlux is impressive for how small and light that shock is. Mm-hmm. I think it's on the really big descents and really big multiple compressions that the right. Sidlux just is way more composed. Or the Even sorry, Flodex, sorry. The Flodex or the Super Deluxe is way more composed on super long downhills <laughs> or like multiple big compressions. Right. The Sidlux um, yeah. kinda is a little pogoey after a little bit. Yeah. And you can't blame it on anything. The thing's teeny. Yeah. So small. Yeah, for how light it is. Yeah. Like, it does a great job for the weight and size. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't personally have an amazing experience with Sid Lux when I rode that bike. Just, I don't know if it's my weight versus your weight, mm-hmm. me being, like, closer to 200 versus you being closer to 150 or yeah. something like that. <laughs> but, like, even I preferred the DPS. I felt I feel like it felt better on the Ranger. Mm-hmm. The Float X is just, like, it's obviously unnecessary, but it feels great. Like, yeah. it's super consistent, kind of like what Liam's saying. And, yeah, for bigger stuff, it's just 
little better. Like, yeah. you can do drops and not feel like you're destroying it. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely. I would agree with you, but I also think that. I don't know. It's just it's just tough because to me, in my head, it's like, well, that's a different bike. Now you see the weight difference. You think that's that's a couple hundred grams. Well, it's just a different bike. <laughs> if I want to ride a lightweight, shorter travel bike like the Revel Ranger, 115 mil in the back, 120 in the front, then I want it to be light and fast in a shortest travel bike. And if I if I start caring about like how composed it is on long downhills or how it feels off of drops, then I just ride a longer travel bike. But what if you're out for a big ride and then you find a long downhill or a drop. Yeah, that's that's well, how I that's how I make my speechless. ride. He's speechless. Well, I'm speechless. <laughs> so so if we if we go back to Colorado, and you have the choice between a composed long travel bike or a Ranger that's kind of overbuilt, what would you pick? Mm. Oh, I'd still ride exactly what I rode. The Rascal, 130 mil 29er in the back with a 150 fork in the front. That mm. bike's like the best one quiver bike for it everything. Is, it is really good, but I still think I'd choose my Ranger because it's just a little bit more efficient on the climbs. Hold speed a little better. Yeah. Honestly, if I were to go back, I would bring the Ranger with that shock. Yeah. That would be perfect. On that same trip? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I rode my 120-120 following that. Well, I also am just not, like, on trips like that, like, I'm just never anywhere remotely close to the back of the pack climbing. Yeah. I mean, so, you, like, you've got I don't care. I'm not, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to need to bring a lighter bike next time. Like, yeah. if anything, I could have brought a heavier bike. You want to trade packs next time? <laughs> yeah, you did bring all the camera equipment. <laughs> and tools and but, water and yeah. snacks for everyone else that was dying. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on who you're riding with. If, if I constantly rode with people that were faster than me, then I'd probably be nitpicking things differently. But in trips like that... I'm usually not yeah. a slow climber, so fair enough. I'm not thinking about that. Yeah, that's fair. All right, favorite part about mountain biking? This I like. I love this question. Oh, okay. Well, right. go ahead. You want me to go Tough first? Guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite part about mountain? Well, hold on, give me a second. I'm just oh kidding. my gosh, the body is loaded. <laughs> well, here's um, here's what's challenging is is we all know there is kind of an endless amount of things we like and enjoy about mountain biking. Yeah, but the the problem with the word favorite is you have to pick one. I'm going to go with... Almost frustrating. It's like hitting the reset button. Like if I'm in a bad mood or like having a rough day and I go have an epic ride and I come back, it's like, boom, I'm feeling great. Yep. That's probably my favorite thing about it. Yeah. Mine's similar. I think if you're on a mountain bike ride solo or with people, um, you have to be pretty focused on what you're doing to like ride well. Totally. And you forget about everything else and... Like anything else, you pretty much are just focused on getting down the trail, and the adrenaline rush is like unbeatable for me. So yeah, yeah, the one the single s- single track mindedness. <laughs> Jared likes that one. Oh, I love a good pun. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to clear the mind. Yeah, that is true. Hmm. What's yours, Jeff? Your favorite hmm. thing about mountain biking? The way his huh was like hmm. like. Looking down on our views of yeah, like no, no, I was. I mean, I I agree with those exactly. I just don't know how I can pick a single one. I would I would probably I would probably say it's the beautiful combination of exercise, fun, and adrenaline and flow state, like all of those, like putting those all together. In, in an orgasmic way. So you kind of picked four. I would agree. But yeah, you kind of like cheated. <laughs> I said it was a beautiful combination. <laughs> yeah. of those four, so. You totally cheated and picked right. four. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, right. people have asked me like, why are you like obsessed with mountain biking? And it's like, that's it. It's like when you're riding it, everything else disappears. 
It's hard to explain. And the adrenaline rush is like. But I really do think it's a combination. It is. I I I do always tell people it is the funnest way to have exercise. For sure. Outside of the bedroom. Don't (laughs) laugh. Keep it PC, dude. Keep it PC. It's the funnest way to get exercise. Yeah. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. And and probably the best exercise that also achieves a flow state almost the entire time. Yeah. It's cool. Agreed. I'm glad that we can all agree that we agree. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> Why are Kettle Mountain products illegally excellent? Oof. Um, that's a pretty creative thing to say. Illegally excellent. I don't know. We work really hard on them. Thanks for the question. We're not in trouble, are we? Yeah. If, I don't think we're doing anything illegal, <laughs> as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> will Kettle make sizes for taller and bigger folk? So, a small apparel brand like what we're doing with Kettle is trying to make really high-end, high-quality sort of like technical stuff, a lot of nice features and really nice, unique fabrics, things like that. When you kind of go down that path, uh, you you start out making product, making apparel that fits the majority of shape and sizes of people, and then you expand from there. So that's kind of how it goes. So absolutely. Um, Obviously, if you were to look at some type of, uh, you know, line chart of like the average body type, um, people who are tall and skinny or short and stout, they're more outliers. So that's kind of what comes next. So yeah, we absolutely will. And uh, just a matter of time. So thanks for the question. Nice. Wasn't there another question here about man nips or yeah, something? Yeah, it's two down. I yeah. Got, I got split oh, up. Oh, I want to I want to read that one because I right. thought it was funny. Go there for you go. it. Uh, I don't know where it is. Just two down. Two down. How do you make an MTB jersey oh. that doesn't show my man nips? <laughs> so <laughs> as, as funny of a question as that is, it's kind of a good question because everyone has different nipples. That's a reality. It's a reality. Everyone has different nipples. Oh, you're breaking it down that far. Well, I'm actually taking this question seriously. Because <laughs> for starters, a lot of athletic apparel, whether it's a mountain bike jersey or it's a running jersey or just a lightweight top, can be a really thin fabric, which can then very prominently show your nips. And uh, there's kind of not really a great solution. One solution is wear two of them uh, or wear a thicker one, which then this causes a problem with heat. So the end-all, be-all solution, which a lot of people do, is just put a little tape over them. That's what I was going to say, right? That people do like athletic tape or something like that. A little athletic tape over the nips. also uh, prevents chafing. If you get nipple chafing, that's the number one way to prevent nipple chafing. Uh, This uh, One of my race kits one year, the whatever the way the bib straps lined up and my jersey, I'd get chafing. So I used to put band-aids over them. Yep. Yeah. Checks out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but the reason I wanted to actually seriously answer it is because as we've developed more fabrics with Kettle and different products, like we have two things, the No Fry Sun Hoodie and the Departed Tech Tees are both this like unbelievably lightweight fabric. And there's no going around the fact that like, if you have an unbelievably lightweight fabric, you can get kind of contours and shapes and you can see things more clearly than if it's a thick fabric. So there's not much of a solution there other than either wear two, wear something with a thicker fabric or use some tape. Or those, a jacket. On those man names. Or just put a jacket on. <laughs> yeah, 85 degrees. So or just own it, man. <laughs> yeah, just Be like, you know it. what? Check out my man nips. Yeah, dude. Got a thin jersey. Hey, Flex has those. Them. It's not like no one has yeah. them. Yeah. Flex those nips. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jump back up. What is each of yours current shoe and pedal setup? Jared? I'll go first. I've got Crank Brothers Mallet E's. Um, Mallet, pedals. Mallet E pedals, yeah. 
good clarification there. Thank you. And uh, let's see, 510 Kestrel Boa, which okay. I love. I've been using those for a couple years. I probably need new cleats because, like, there's a little bit of play, I feel like, when I'm climbing and stuff. But I love that combo, and the Boa has not broken yet, and it's awesome. Sweet. Yeah. What about you guys, Jeff? Uh, I also have Crank Brothers Mallet Ease. I really like those pedals. I think they're kind of like the perfect all-around trail pedal. Mm -hmm. I don't really know if I'd ever want to run a different one. And I have now, I was running 510 shoes for a while, but because they had such stock issues in the last 24 months or five years, I don't know. Wonder what, <laughs> <laughs> 510's had a lot of various stock issues, even and they can't really use the pandemic as an excuse because um, it <laughs> happened before that. I love their shoes. I always have. But Crank Brothers came out with their own shoes not too long ago. That was in like December of... 19 or December of 20? It was in 20. December sure. of 20? Yeah. yeah. Crank Brothers made their own shoes, and I really like them. Um, I have the Mallet Speedlace, right? Is that what I have? Sounds, sounds or right. Or do I have the Mallet? Oh, I have the Mallet E you Speedlace. Have Mallet e, yeah. The Mallet E Speedlace. Um, I like those shoes. I think they're... I have them up right here. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I like those shoes. I think they're really comfortable, and the Speedlace feature is nice, just quick to put the shoe on and off and yeah just a good comfortable durable quality shoe so far it's not nearly as stiff as the kestrels that you're using Mm -hmm. Uh, that has a way stiffer shank which makes it much more efficient pedaling makes it less comfortable to walk in Mm -hmm. or push your bike in hike your bike in Mm -hmm. and uh so i don't know it's give or take right like a really stiff shank is is the best for pedaling and efficiency Uh, a little bit more flexy shank is way more comfortable hiking the bike or if you have to walk um i also think for downhill too yeah better pedal feel i think you do get better pedal feel with a less stiff shank stiffer the shoe is i get hot foot oh you, ever, you guys ever have I've got, yeah. I've totally. never had a problem with that, but yeah. I know people do. Maybe on yeah. flats. Stiff for the shoe, I kind of get hot. I'm like, that's, we're talking mm. about like long descent, you know, like yeah. constant 10 minute plus downhill. Yeah. Yep. I also run that same Malady pedal on everything. So even though it doesn't make sense to really have a pedal that beefy with a, you know, whole platform around it, I put, still put it on my gravel bike. I just want consistency. Yeah. So, like, I run the same 760-wide bars on every bike I have and the same pedals on every bike I have, unless it's my dirt jump bike, which I have flat pedals, but that's a totally different situation. Um, but I, I try to just have consistency in terms of, like, shoe and pedal and then bar width and, and sort of lever position. I always want to have consistency there. So, yeah, that's what I'm currently running, and I like those. I have... Not really any complaints. They could be they could be fifteen percent stiffer shank. I think that would be a little better in terms of stiffness yeah, of shank. Maybe okay. on the, the but e still model. not too stiff. Like I think the I think the ones in the five ten kestrels are probably I would call them maybe a little too stiff for my liking. Yeah. And the crank brothers are slightly too flexy. So I want I want the Goldilocks, right? Yeah, I was gonna say we got a Goldilocks situation going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. We do. <laughs> Liam, what are you running? Um kind of a shoot. Diva, just kind of in my life in general. I have a lot of shoes. <laughs> um, I, I won't, I won't, you know, hide that. Uh, I have shoe wise. I have Crank Brothers Mallet for kind of my big bike riding, which is their downhill shoe. I have Crank Brothers Mallet E for my general trail riding. Uh, both the Speed Lace version, and then I have Kestrel laces that I don't really wear that much anymore. 
but I wear them for big XC days or like big kind of more days I want efficiency. But I'd say 75% of the time I wear my Mallet E speed lace shoe. Oh. Crank Brothers. A man of culture. Yep. And then uh, hmm. pedal-wise, I'm still on Shimano. Oh, he says it with yeah. shame. <laughs> I tried. I've tried. I've are you actually using Shimano or are you using some other brand that just uses an SPD? No, I'm actually using Shimano mm-hmm. now. Um, I was using ECs for a bit, but I uh, had, like, after a couple of years, you know, I think I broke a spring on one and uh, rebuild kits and stuff. So if they bring them back, I'll run those. Um, but I tried Crank Brothers. I couldn't just get used to it. Uh, so back on Shimano's. I do, however, want to try Time because I heard they're kind of like in the middle. Yeah, kind of in between. Um, and now Time is owned by SRAM, so I'd way rather support mm-hmm. that. Um, so if you're listening, Time. Nice. Hit me with some pedals. I'll try them. Oh, but good luck, yeah, bro. I know. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy them, honestly, if they're in stock, but they're not. Yeah. But the uh, Speaking of that, don't we have a – I feel like I did a YouTube video – a hundred years ago on clipless pedals. How to set up Crank Brothers cleats in no, ridiculous detail? Yeah. They, not, <laughs> wow, you've memorized the exact title. Yeah, I, we did that video, and uh, it was when we were still didn't have the color correction quite perfect, and I looked like a Oompa Loompa because I was orange. But but it was, a, it was a good video. People still comment on that video and are really appreciative of that video because when you are trying to set up a Crank Brothers pedal for the first time, and you need all the little details about how to use the shims, where to place the cleat, how to break in the rubber on the bottom of your sole, all of that sort of stuff. That I think, was that video 18 minutes long? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was ridiculous detail. It was, it was in ridiculous detail. <laughs> so, so, yeah, if you're trying to set that up, check out that video. But we also did a video that was, uh, what was that called? I'm trying to remember what it was. It, I think it was like Best Clipless Pedals and... Um, or maybe like top five clipless pedals, something like that. But I, I remember in that video, I, I kind of went into detail of all the various different brands between uh, Crank Brothers, Shimano, Time, HT, about kind of how the, they feel, mm-hmm. like how much float they have, how snappy they are when you clip into them, um, different things like that. So I don't know. They, they all do have a different feel. Like they're, they're certainly not one's not one is better than the other, um, but – they have a different feel in terms of how, how they work. And, yeah, my, my preference on Clipless is, you know, Crank Brothers. Liam's is Shimano for different reasons. The title of that video you're looking for, Jeff, yeah. is MTB Clipless Pedals Buyer's Guide, Everything You Need to Know. Wow. All right. Cool. That's Everything what we need to know. We also did a Clipless versus Flats, and the yeah. synopsis of that is essentially do whatever makes you feel more comfortable because if you're going to be clipped in and you don't feel comfortable – you're not gonna have a good time on your bike, so don't do so that. You're not gonna have a good time. All right, what do we got? Not gonna have a good questions. time. Um, no man, we're out of time. We're out of time. That's it. That's all. Uh, we don't want this podcast to run forever. Uh, oh wait, one last question. One last question. Should I read it? Um, which one? That one? Yeah. Read yeah. It. If you have to wear Lycra every ride for the rest of your life. What color would it be, and why would you never ride again? <laughs> that's what we will. That's what. That is the, the philosophical question we will leave you to ponder over the next three weeks while we come out with another MTB podcast. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. We genuinely appreciate you, and we love you.
Right, Jared? We sure do. I love you. We do. We love you very much. Thank you very much. Seriously, thank you for listening. And I got nothing else. Got nothing. Good night, New York. Good night, New York.